and it's hard to keep uh, really happy. The older you get in life, the more mileage you accumulate and the more, I don't know, cynical you become and the more hurts you've you've experienced. And, you know, you're with family and and some of you, you've got to go visit several families now. And there's just, you know, so much. And unresolved offenses, you know, that kind of build up and maybe things haven't been talked about and you just have to go through this time of year. And it's very hard when we're talking about, you know, joy to the world and Merry Christmas and all of that and underneath it all, it's, it's difficult. So that's why we're doing this series called Let It Go. And, and hopefully what you hear today will be so profound and, and pointed right to where you are. I think these verses from Luke chapter 17 are so critical to us this weekend especially Uh, really at all times, but I want you to see these verses in Luke, the 17th chapter. You just sit there. Let me just read them for you today. Watch them on the screen. This is God's word though. Jesus said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. End of the sermon. You're going to get offended and it's going to happen. He says, it's impossible that you're not going to not be offended. It's going to happen. But woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed of yourselves. In other words, this is going to be something you're going to have to do. You have to take responsibility for this yourself. God can't do this for you. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him or confront him. Speak up, say something. And if he repents, forgive him. Don't just sit there and be angry and silent, hoping for things to change. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times returns to you saying, I'm sorry, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. And so the Lord said, you don't need a lot of faith. If you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this, and you thought it would say mountain, right? Like mountain, that's what you've always heard. Say to the mountain, be moved. But he says in this, Luke says to this mulberry tree, really fascinating to me, be pulled up by the roots and it will obey you. It will obey you. Listen, I don't want to talk to you for very long, but I want to talk to you today, not about that you should forgive. I want to talk to you about how to actually do it, and it's going to be great. Can you join me in prayer for a moment? Heavenly Father, when I said the word forgiveness, that just triggers all of these automatic walls that just come up of self-justification, and I pray today that, that today we would say what the apostle said, that we would say, God, increase our faith to believe that what is going to be said about your word today will actually be good for me. And it will help me and give me the faith to believe that this is going to do something good in my life and set me free. So, God, I open up my heart to you and I hold nothing back. And, Lord, will you do what needs to be done in me? That's our prayer today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This past week, one of our uh, delightful staff members that we love had to be rushed to the hospital. And she suddenly had a numbness in her arm, very alarming, couldn't feel her arm anymore. And so they went to the hospital, and the doctors ran a whole series of tests trying to figure out what does this symptom indicate. It's alarming, and we need to get to the root of the issue. So when they did the test, and she passed the test, it wasn't her heart, and it wasn't a stroke. But after they kept doing the test, they said, 
we don't know exactly what is causing this numbness, but we will have to do further testing to get to the root of the problem. We do not like that kind of diagnosis, right? Because we want to know what is going on. I don't want to have to wonder or to guess. The symptoms are still there. What what do you do when you're still symptomatic and you don't know really what is the root cause? It's It's a scary thing. And so we find ourselves in a season where we're supposed to be completely happy and joyful. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. And this is good news of, of, of great joy for all people. And, and we've even passed some tests. I mean, we have done some of the tests that would indicate that things should be better. We go to church and we pray. And maybe you believe in the Bible and you read it. And, you, you know, you gather with other Christians and you do certain things that would seem to be uh, the good things. And you're passing those tests. But the truth, we're told, there's still symptoms that all is not as it should be. Where is the joy? Where is the peace? Where is that sense of power that I thought I should have? Why is it that I'm not experiencing the promise of what I thought this was all about? Because I'm still symptomatic, and I don't really know what is the root cause. It's not surprising to me that there are people who don't believe in God, secular people who don't want to forgive or don't forgive. What surprises me are people who have been forgiven and know that and how they find it so difficult to forgive. What's at the root of that? And how might that root be at the root of so much unhappiness really in our lives, so much discord, so much lack of peace? Now, Jesus has said to his disciples much earlier than this something very profound. He said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy or blessed are those who are pure in heart because they are the ones that will be inspired. They will see God. They will see God show up in their lives. It's, it's the recipe or the, the statement that says, this is, this is a vision I'm casting for you. Blessed are the pure in heart. These are the ones that will, will see God. This word pure is not what you think. It's, it's a word in the Greek that is katharos, where we get the word catharsis, or another word, catheter, you know, a, a system, something that, that is in place to remove impurities out of our life on a regular basis, that impurities must come, offenses must come, but I have a system or a process that drains, that flushes the impurities out of the body and away from me because for them to stay in the body is to create poison in my life. So blessed are those who have a system that irrigates away, listen to me, do you hear this? All, that irrigates away all of the impurities out of my life on a continual basis so that poison does not build up. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Pastor Steve last week talked about people like this, like Joseph, a a man who somehow was able to keep flushing the offenses out on a regular basis. No one had uh, more difficulty and offenses done to him than Joseph. Joseph was was hated by his own brothers, sold into slavery, uh, falsely accused, put into prison as a slave when he was just getting ahead. You know, it's incredible. Over and over again, you see Joseph as a man who understands how to get rid of his anger. He's not a bitter person. 
because you don't take a bitter person uh, and make them in charge of your household. You don't take an angry person, Steve said, and make them in charge over the whole prison. You don't take a vindictive, bitter person and raise them up and put them in charge of the whole country. Something about Joseph, he had a process, a way in which to to flush out these offenses as they would come so he was relatively offense-free so that God could elevate him to a place of destiny because he knew that I can trust you with power because you won't use that power to explode on those who have offended you. King David was the same way. A young man named David uh, who it seemed had great opportunity and promise, but he was attacked and criticized and offenses came his way from an early age. It seemed King Saul especially took a particular dislike to him, threw a spear at him twice. You don't go back to a gig as a musician where they throw spears at you. (laughs) But he goes back. His fiance, the king gives away his fiance to another man. He is spoken about and ripped apart and, and treated so badly, and he's, he's cursed out by the king behind his back. Uh, on and on it goes. Eventually, uh, the king is sending out parties of, of armed men to try to kill young David. All the while, David is keeping his heart pure. Not that he's a perfect man, but he has a system. Being able to pass the impurities out of his life and remain offense-free King Saul would come into his power on several occasions, and each time David would say, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. It's in God's hands, even though he had the power. See, God has great things in store, blessing in store for people who know how to pass through offenses, because that's the way the body works. You can't just take in and never take, let things go out. I mean, what kind of a person would we be if we just kept taking in food, nutrition, but we didn't process through the digestive system the waste. You know what happens to a person when there's a blockage? You take that for granted in your life, but when there's a blockage, you're in trouble real fast. You can start to see it in the skin, and it changes colors in the eyes, and pretty soon there's internal pain, and before you know it, there's a condition called sepsis, and you die. There has to be some way for things to pass, the impurities to pass out of the system. I'm making my point today that to be pure in heart and to be blessed of God and to be happy, there has to be a process to pass out uh, the things, the offenses that come. Because Jesus said, these offenses will come. He says to these guys, offenses will come. They, they'll always happen. You can't get rid of them. And they're going to come. Now, he's not saying that you know, well, free pass to offenders, like it's just going to happen. He says, woe to them. Woe to the one who causes the offense. It's not going to be good for them. You who wantonly just offend and with no regard and just do whatever you want, there's trouble for you. In fact, it would be be better for you uh, to be thrown into the ocean with a weight around your neck than to wantonly abuse uh, one of my little ones, one of my own kids, one of the people who are part of my family. Better not mess with them. And so the attitude, though, he's calling these these guys too, as he's saying, listen, I'll settle the score. I am a God of justice. I miss nothing. Nothing's out of my sight. I'll, I'll take back off. Let me handle it. How can you see God fight your battles when you're fighting your battles? So he says, back up and watch because they're going to the bottom. You want to cut the cord so you're not dragged down there with them. So you got to let it go. Now he's speaking to disciples at the beginning, but if you'll notice in the passage that he says the word apostles about halfway through. First time, these guys are called apostles. Because you used to be just a follower, and you used to just, you know, be in my presence, and you heard the stuff, but now I'm calling you to a whole nother level. 
that you're now about to enter the graduate school of Christianity, that you can only go as high as your ability to deal with offenses, that I can only take you so far. I can't raise you up and give you power. You see, we have the Old Testament to show us that and all these people. I can't lift you up and exalt you and give you a graduate-level position in my kingdom and bless you if you have a first-grade response to conflict. And so you, how am I going to... So, so, guys, you are now apostles. I'm calling you up to another level. You understanding what I'm saying? Doesn't mean you're not going to get angry. Doesn't mean I'm asking you just pretend and to go through life like there's no problems and people don't hurt you. And, you know, anger is a gift from God. Anger is something that God gives you to protect yourself. It's something that causes you to get out of a situation quickly or to rise up in righteous indignation. God gives you that. I thank God for the critics and I thank God for people because that actually made me stronger in my life. Gave me, gave me a, a sense of will and I'm not going to quit and I'm not going to just, you know, no, I'm going to keep going on. So that's a gift from God. But what, 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 what isn't good, the Bible says not, it doesn't, he doesn't say don't be angry. He just says don't sin in your anger. Sin comes in where, we just, we, where, where anger is unexpressed, unacknowledged, anger that is undispelled. Because anger that's just undispelled, that, is, that builds up in us, becomes bitterness. And that's not good. That's poison for the soul. It has to be passed out. So you have You have to let it out. And so that's why he says, if your brother sins against you, rebuke them or confront them or speak up, say something, express or verbalize what has been said. You can't just stuff it down. If you stuff it down, you know what's going to happen. Eventually, you just explode and damage people and you sin. Or you go into other sins. Steve said this last week, so powerful, if you remember. He said, if if you find out that you're finding yourself stuck in all kinds of addictive behavior, there's anger that's building up. Check your anger because what pressure is built up to the point that you need to find release somewhere else? So you've got to express it. There may be one or two of you that say, I have no problem doing that. I tell people exactly what's on my mind. But for the most of us, we don't struggle that way, right? Most of us are like, I'm not saying anything. And you sit there and you stew and you get angry and you suffer with it. And you, oh, you start to let it out. It spills out on the people around you, people at home. All your kids hear about your boss. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I didn't mean to step into your world there. But everybody hears about all the other people. But you don't go right and talk to the person and say, hey, look, this is, what's, this is difficult for me. I don't understand this. This is causing me pain in my life. I need to understand because what you're doing is hurt, hurtful to me. We don't say things like that. Instead, we stuff it and we rehearse it and it gets bigger. And with our little choir around us, it becomes very hard to ever let it go. Because everybody else is saying, well, you deserve, I mean, you need, we have to be able to build a system. So this is wisdom coming from Jesus here. Get into a habit where you have a system to release offense. Don't get a bunch of people around you that's going to stop that system. It'll just make you poisonous. Just let it go. I watched this lived out in my life. I, I, I was grateful. I'm, I, was, I was blessed to have parents that taught me how to live with short accounts and, 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 and modeled letting go of offense rapidly. When I was real young, uh, about seven years of age, we were in the country of Dominica. My parents were missionaries, a little island in the Caribbean. And out of the blue, about the second year that we were there, uh, some other Christian man, a missionary from a different denomination, out of the blue in the public, uh, on the radio and through the print media, began to attack my father. 
And he began to call my father a false teacher and a false preacher and, and just said, all, and my dad, who is this guy? You ever heard of this guy before? And he was calling my dad uh, to these public debates. My dad called him and said, hey, let's talk, you and me. What's going on? Well, how am I the object of your wrath? The guy did not want to speak to him. I'll only meet you in the public debate. So he doesn't want resolution. He wants a forum, a fight. Well, my dad was hurt by that, as you can imagine, and it's painful, but I never heard him trash that man in our house, throw him under the bus. In fact, he never responded publicly. He just kept on doing what he was doing, and he just kind of suffered that in the background as noise. Well, Hurricane David came through the island of Dominica in 1976, and it destroyed the island, destroyed our home, destroyed everything. And so we spent the first day, our home was, was not damaged so bad it couldn't be just secured. And he secured it all up. And then the next day he took me and all of his tools in the back of his truck. And guess where he took me? He drove me straight to that guy's house. And there we spent the next two days cleaning up debris, securing his home, boarding up windows, and serving this man's needs. The third day he comes over to our house, tears in his eyes. And he says, I don't understand. How could you do this after all that I've done to you? And my dad, I heard him say this. He says, well, because you're my brother in Christ, and I love you, and I had to help you. Do you understand the power of that impression upon a seven-year-old boy? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They will see God things happen. They will see God show up. God was large in my eyes as a child. This is how, this is how God calls us to be. Blessed are, blessed are you who have a way to get rid of the offenses quickly because you're going to see God incidences. You'll see him arrive and fight your battles and show up, something most of us never see. I'm so thankful for that and for that heritage. And it's what you want to have for your children and for your grandchildren. A system to get rid of your offenses so you can, you can build faith into them. And so he says to these guys now, graduate level Christianity, this is not easy. This is not the baby stuff anymore. This is going to cause uh, you to, ha- to need and require the greatest maturity that you'll have. And, you know, it's not like they're not mature. They've been with Jesus for three years. But how many of you know that you can be totally mature in one area of your life and be immature in others? That you've got areas of your life that you're acting like a child and other areas where you're professional and gifted and put together. We got stuck somewhere. We grew on the outside, but emotionally got, you know, so you see this all the time on the freeway, right? Gifted, professional, uh, articulate, 38-year-old acting like an 8-year-old throwing a temper tantrum in public. It's possible to have gifts and abilities and, and to be mature, and very gifted in areas of life, even have a lot of knowledge about God and be completely immature when it comes to how we process offenses. And so he's calling them to greater maturity. Even if it's required seven times in a day, you have to let it go. Let the offense go. It's not worth it. Don't let it get down. And so the disciples hearing this say, well, Lord, increase our faith. (laughs) <laughs> which is, a, why, does he, why do they say that? Why, why, why do they say, when he says and talks about offenses, they say, well, Lord, increase our faith. What does faith have to do with forgiveness? Well, because we have such a hard time actually trusting God that he's involved in our situation. 
That God, are you actually in charge of this? See, God's point of view on everything that happens to you, that happens to me, is I work all things together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. But I don't have, do I really believe that? That means there's a nutrition in every offense. That means there's something that I'm supposed to process that's for my good and some of it that I just got to let go and get out. In every situation, there's something that's going to make me stronger, that's something that's going to make me better, that God allowed, that God brought this offense my way on purpose to make me into somebody else. And some of it that just needs to be let go as quickly as possible. And if you only look at the offense through human eyes, you will think that, uh, you know, your offender has ruined your life. Like they stopped this or they broke this or they took away my opportunity or they made it bad and I'll never recover. And look at you giving all of this power to your offender instead of trusting in a God who's able to deliver you and bring you out. So, Lord, increase our faith. It's graduate level. Christianity. The greater the level of influence that God's going to give you with people, the more criticism and conflict you're going to have. The higher God lifts you in life, the more people who will be offended. So you can't have long-term sustained growth or greatness in life and not expect that offenses will come. Stop praying, God, take away all the people who are offending me. God, get me out of this job where people don't appreciate me. Get me out of this offensive situation. Or you're looking for that perfect man. Or you're looking for that perfect woman. Or some some church that's just perfect that you'll never... Ten churches and you're still looking for the perfect church. Right? Where I won't be offended. Well, it doesn't exist because he's trying to do something in you. You know, I'm so thankful for the leaders that God has put around me. I came and started this church when I was 29 years old. Didn't know much of anything. And God has put some incredible leaders in my life that have walked with me the whole time, the same elders. And I'm going to tell you, it's not like we didn't ever have a fence with each other. You can't do anything great and grow and have sustained growth and not have times where you're misreading each other. But thank God for mature, wise people who said, we want to come around you. And we want to grow with you. That's powerful. That's relationship. That's, that's sustaining. That's, that's incredible. I'm so grateful for our leaders. And my elders, if you're here today, thank you for that. Thank you for that. We have to have faith that there's a God who's orchestrating the events or we don't believe it. I think sometimes to the degree that we really believe that God's in control, it can be gauged by how mad we get at people. <laughs> I mean, if he's really in control, why are you so mad? Increase my faith to believe that you are working things together for my good. Increase my faith to believe that they meant it to me for evil, but you meant it for good. Increase my faith to believe that really no weapon that's formed against me shall prosper but I thou overcome. And so the Lord says, you don't need a lot of faith. You just need a little bit, even as a seed of the mustard. And you will say to this mulberry tree, <laughs> why didn't he say mountain? I mean, the other gospel writers said mountain. And, you know, I can understand that because to these guys back then, I mean, we can move a mountain today with equipment and machinery. But back then, you're not moving a mountain. You can cut down a tree. 
Even back then they can cut down a tree, but why do I need the same amount of faith to move a mountain as to cut down a tree? And I understand that Jesus is, is saying something here that, you know, the difference between mountains and trees is uh, mountains don't have roots. And that tree, I mean, you can cut down a tree, but to take out the root system of a mulberry tree, do you know how, many, how big the root system of a full-grown mulberry tree is? Check it out. Look it up. It was specific what he was saying. It is an incredible, deep root system. Very hard. Can you imagine digging up a whole tree by the roots? And he says, that's what offenses are like. If you don't get rid of them, they grow deep down roots and they're very hard to get up. If you're going to have joy and you're going to have power, you've got to get rid of the root of bitterness because then you can walk freely into blessing you never had before. You've got to decide if the root is more valuable to you to hold on to than what God wants to bless you with. Of what possible value could be a root that, that is so you know, cantankerous and bitter and angry and all of the stuff that goes with that, all of the health stuff that goes with holding on to that? Or a faith in the God that, God, you are just moving me from one faith opportunity to the next. You're increasing my faith and you're maturing me. And blessed are the pure in heart, the ones with the system of getting rid of all these offenses because I'll see God in the end. That's incredible. I'm not telling you to hold on to a person. Don't mistake what I'm saying. I'm not saying to hold on to the abuser, go chase after abuse. Some of you have been abused. Some things happened in your past. Innocence was robbed, or you were, there was a betrayal, or there was lying, or there was deceit, and there's too much that has happened. And we're not asking you to go back and chase people. What we're saying is let go of the bitter root in you. That cynicism, that suspicion, that negative spirit so you can live your life to the fullest without being encumbered by that bitterness anymore. Trust God to settle the score. And you, again, you cut that tie so that if they go to the bottom, you don't go with them. There's a reason why the disciples were told earlier on by the Lord. He said, forgive, he taught them to pray this, forgive us our trespasses. What, how's it go? As we forgive those who trespass against us. Scary verse, because this is, again, graduate level Christianity. You're praying that every time. God, uh, forgive me like I'm forgiving the people in my life. God, you see how I'm forgiving my offender? God, treat me the same way. This is what I'm, I, God, I'm asking you for the mercy that I'm giving the people that offend me. <laughs> wow. How do you say that? The only way you say that is when you get really real to, whoa, I have really offended a holy God. I, I need forgiveness so much that I'm willing to not pass judgment on people. I, you know, I'm just going to let them go by the grace of God because I need so much forgiveness for my own stuff that, God, I'm willing to just, you know, hey, you know, let me and let God, but I'm the one standing here in the need of prayer. I'm the one that needs something, you know, in my life. Uh, I need your grace, and I'll need your mercy. The Bible says that he humbled himself. He he did not take the power that he had and the, and the ability to blow us all away. But he humbled himself like a baby. Nobody's afraid of a baby. And he came with a, with a clear focus in mind. Philippians 2 said that he came obedient to death on a cross. The purpose of Christmas is a cross. Jesus came with this intense focus that it all hinges on my death and my burial and my resurrection. I cannot be tied down by these offenses that come at me along the way because the, the scripture says that if there is no resurrection, that we are still dead and still remain in our sins. So the whole thing hinged that there would be a resurrection. And so he's going, uh, came and endured the shame and the pain because he knew of the 
joy that was set before him, that, that someday all of us would be able to be forgiven because of what he was going to go through. And so... <laughs> Oh, I'm so excited. I can't just <laughs> listen to this. He, he, he's got, he's so focused that he's on that cross and they're, they're, they've beaten him. Blood's pouring out of his body, nails going into his hand. They've pulled his beard out, his, his, his crown of thorns on his head and he's bleeding and he's suffering in pain and he's crying out, my God, my God, uh, father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. How can he say that? How can he say that to somebody while they're nailing him into the hands? Because he's going, I'm focused on what's going to happen three days from now. For the joy that said, I cannot hold on to this offense of this guy nailing me into this cross. I've got to be free so that I can rise up in power three days from now. I can't be weighed down. I've got to rise up. You cannot... Go where God wants to take you. You cannot have a resurrection in your life if you don't let it go. And so, so Jesus endured all of that. And if you have an experience, I mean, we're not beaten to death, nailed to a cross. I mean, we haven't endured all of that yet. And Jesus did that without uttering a word. So, Lord, because you endured all that for me, God, I need your forgiveness. I need your forgiveness. And let me offer that to other people. Now, Darren, I get your point. I I hear you. I I need forgiveness, but I just don't know how to do that. How do I start? First of all, you understand that forgiveness is not weakness. I think that's been a hiccup for a lot of people. That to somehow forgive is just sort of to roll over and it's weak and it's going to be taken advantage of. Listen, forgiveness is the most powerful thing that you could ever do. It takes more strength. It's strong. You're a person of graduate level Christian maturity if you know how to let offenses go. You see, you can't just live by your feelings the rest of your life. There has to be a point where you're able to just become, I'm I'm a person of, of, of character, I don't allow someone to just walk into the room and immediately they turn my thermostat up and my, I, I get fired up. I mean, you can't live like that. Imagine people were just walking across your path, some offense they did to you in the path, and all of a sudden your whole, you know, you're all fired up now. And so forgiveness is about taking the control of the thermostat back and saying, I'm going to be, I'm going to have this and, and I'm going to be in control of this. I'm not going to let you fire me up. I'm, I'm going to let that go. So forgiveness, listen, this is the whole point. It is a decision that you make. It is not a feeling that you have. Don't wait for the feeling of forgiveness to come. That's the problem. You're waiting for forgiveness to somehow, one day I just won't be mad anymore. That's not true. Forgiveness is not the absence of anger. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Forgiveness is not the, not the feeling of it's all fine. Forgiveness is a choice where you identify, this is what's been taken from me. That's why you say things like, they owe me an apology. Because yeah, something was stolen. Something was robbed. And you say, okay, this is what they took. They don't owe me anymore. I just make that decision to let them go. I'm cutting it. I trust that God, you know, woe to them. But God, I trust you are working this for my good. God, I take the lesson out of this, but God, I let it go. Now, you won't feel anything yet, but you make a decision. And so you get up the next day and you feel like being depressed and staying in bed. And you get up out of that bed and you say, take authority over your feelings in the name of Jesus. And you say, I'm not, I forgave. I'm not depressed. I may feel like I'm depressed, but I'm not depressed. I'm getting up out of this bed. I'm going to work because I have forgiven. I'm not going to gossip today. I'm not going to, I'm going to align my behavior with this decision that I've made early on. And I'm going to just behave as someone who's forgiven. 
And if you do that, your feelings will follow your decision. And you won't be like a yo-yo up and down. That's what he's saying to to the apostles now. You're no longer just a baby Christian. I want you to start living deliberately. I don't speak to you as one who has not had difficulty or trial in life. I don't speak to you as one who doesn't know what it's like to have bad things happen, crazy things, things that you say, God, where were you? How could you let that happen? I've seen all that. I've watched that happen in my family. You see, part of the problem is that some of you have families of origin that there was no forgiveness for anybody. I mean, it was just throw everybody under the bus. It was like aunt's, mom's mad at the auntie and, you know, and, uh, and, and grandpa is mad at the neighbor and there's just been this feud and, and we're mad at my brother and, you know, we don't talk anymore. And that's all you ever saw was the constant, you know, the constant fighting. And you never saw what it was like to anybody just to be forgiven. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist. See, you'll never actually feel forgiven by God unless you actually take this step and say, God, I want to forgive. I choose to forgive. And when your feelings start to fall and for the first time you go, you know what, I did forgive. You'll start to believe that God can actually forgive you. And you're going to be set free at a whole nother level. This is good. So, so I know what I'm talking about. I watched this. I was so blessed again to see this, this idea displayed before me as a child. You know, blessed are the pure in heart, the people who have a system for just processing offenses as they come, even up to seven times in a day, because those are the people that will see God. When I was 14 years old, I was in the country of Haiti, and um, a guy broke into our home, held me at gunpoint for over half an hour, he was sent there, we found out later, to kill our whole family. There came a moment where there was a standoff and my parents discovered him there and there was this moment of incredible tenseness. And, and you know what I saw? I saw a man who had been walking with God his whole life. Blessed are the pure in heart, they'll see God. And you know, if we die, we're with the Lord. All is well. But if this is not of God, then we stand in the face of this. And my dad raised up his hands and he just started to pray. And my mom joined him and they just began to pray and call the name of the Lord. And they thanked him and they began to praise him. And I'm watching this. And I can't explain all that happened. I don't know what happened, but I saw a look of terror and fear come over the face of this man. And suddenly he turned and ran out the door and bolted away. And God delivered us that night completely. Now, if we'd have died, we'd have been with Jesus. Good. If we hadn't have died, and I'm still here, so it's better for you and better for me. <laughs> so they put me in bed that night, and my mom and dad come in, and they just pray, and they, I remember this prayer. God, we thank you that you are an awesome God, that you encamp, your angels encamp around those who fear you. Thank you for your deliverance. Now, oh Lord, we forgive this man who's come into our home and we release him to you. And we thank you for your protection over us. We have nothing to fear. Do you know what that means to a 14-year-old young man? Do you know that I went to sleep that night? No trauma, no nightmares. God, you are with me. God, you're watching over us. God, thank you that we can just walk through offenses in life and you can, you can help us. God, thank you that you're our deliverer. You're our fortress. You're a solid rock. 
Thank you that really no weapon that's formed against us shall ever prosper. God, I thank you for your power and for your presence. I go to sleep as a 14-year-old worshiping the Lord. I didn't go to counseling and, you know, I didn't have, God was, God was there. And see, this is what I know you want for your own life. That kind of confidence that if we, if we die, we're with the Lord. If we don't die, God's not finished with me yet. I've still got stuff to do. So I'm letting go of this offense. I'm not going to let it hold me back. I'm just going to rise up and go to the level that God wants me to go. So let me give you a picture of a heavenly father who says, that's, I want to forgive you, first of all. And the best gift that you could have at Christmas is realizing that there is a God who says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have never stopped loving you. I've seen the list of all the things that you've done. I have the evidence. You know how you've let down your own standards, let alone mine. And I still love you. In fact, the scriptures talk about a father who says, I had my arms open to you. I have longed to gather you close to me, but you held me off. You wouldn't come. But he shows a picture of a heavenly father who's who's standing by the door, looking a long way off for that prodigal to come home. And at the first sign of that young man across the horizon, the father runs towards the prodigal. And he he kisses him on the face and puts a robe around his shoulders and and hugs him, puts shoes on his feet. Even though you, you blew the inheritance and you wasted your life, I'll bring you back and I'll set you on the right course. I'll restore you. I'll give you a hope and a future. That's the kind of God that we have. That's the God that wants to reach out to you at Christmas. I don't know if you came here today because it was the polite thing to do to a family member or because uh, it was just, you know, the Christmas thing to do or you've been coming for a while and you're trying to evaluate whether or not I should follow Christ. Well, today is the day. It's Christmas Sunday. The purpose of Christmas, the reason Jesus came was to give you forgiveness. That is the great news. That is great news of great joy for all people. I want to give you that opportunity to respond to Christ today. And for many others, you've been sitting here the whole time. And when I started talking about forgiveness, all you could think of was that person. Well, I want you to leave him here in this room today. I want you to get out into your car. I want you to walk away and say, God, today, I let it go. I let it go at the altar today. And uh, you make that decision so that in 2013, you are walking into a brand new year, ready to say, God, I am free. I'm clear. The accounts are settled. No bitterness in me. And you can elevate me to wherever you want to take me. Are you receiving this today? All right, let's all stand to our feet. I want to pray for you this morning. And we're going to sing a song in just a minute. We're going to sing this song, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And, you know, at the end of every service, we have people that are, that are here to pray with you. I'm going to invite my team just to come and spread out across the front. And I want to ask you boldly to follow Jesus today. I want to ask you to turn away from a, a self-ruled life and say, Jesus Christ, I'm coming to you. In fact, if you know that I'm talking to you, just step out of the aisle and just come right now. Just walk forward. Just come forward. Come on, give them some encouragement as they come this morning. Just come and say, I need prayer. I need to respond. I got to get my heart right with God today. Just come as we sing. I have decided. Come on, sing with me. To follow Jesus. Come on. I have. All right. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, that's right. Come today. To follow Jesus. I have decided. Today's the day. No 
No turning back. Now, some of you haven't seen this for a long time, but I'm telling you something. God is here today. You can tell the presence of the Lord is here. And if he's speaking to you, all you have to worry about is, well, what would some of these people think? Well, everybody in this room is cheering you on. And God wants you to be set free. You need to come today and give your life to Jesus Christ and walk away from the old path. You need to give yourself to him. Let's sing that one more time and don't delay. I have decided. Come on. Come now, while there's still time, to follow Jesus. I have decided. If you're in the balcony, just come on down. We'll wait. Follow Jesus. I have decided. There's an old verse that says this, the cross before me before me, the world behind me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the cross before me, the world behind me, for all of you now. Bow your heads. I'm going to pray a prayer and if this is you, say, God, this is me. Lord Jesus, I have been thinking all day since you started speaking to me that I need to let it go. I have stewed. I have fretted. I have imagined all the worst case scenarios. I've given power to somebody else and made them greater in my mind than even you, that you're in control, that you have ordained all things, that that you've said that you order the steps of a good person and you delight in his way. So Lord, I want to be I want to be right with you today. I want to trust you. I want to forgive. I'm asking you in your heart today to forgive now. God, that is me. And I choose to forgive. And then just say their name. Say their name to God. Just say, God, I forgive them. I let them go. Tell God what it is that they stole from you. Your innocence, the home that you always dreamed of growing up in, your reputation, a business. What is it? What is money? What is what did they steal? And then just say, you know what, today, Lord, I cancel the debt. They don't owe me anymore. I don't, I don't need to feel that right now, but God, I just say it to you. Make a commitment in your heart. I, I don't hold on to it anymore. I let it go. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd fill every person here with a fresh touch uh, of of who you are and how great you are, that that you can move mountains, Lord. I pray that you pull up the roots of bitterness and you would set people free. I thank you for these that have come today to commit themselves to you, and I thank you for those still uh, yet to come, just unsure, didn't want to walk out in front of others. God, you're not going to hold back on them. I pray that they would still come yet before the day is over. And just come and pray. Holy Spirit, draw every person who needs prayer today so that they can be set free. In Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. Can you give God one more great hand of praise today? All right. I'm going to ask Pastor Clary to come and give us our closing instructions. But may the God of all peace and power 
May he fill you with his spirit and may you go into 2013 differently. No more uh, holding on to bitterness. Be set free in Jesus' name. I love you guys. Merry Christmas. See you tonight if you're coming to HSE.